Welcome to Return to Roshar, where we speak again the ancient oaths by going through Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight books and put everything into a wider Cosmere context. So a spoiler warning is in effect for every Cosmere book published at the time of recording, and that means up to Rhythm of War for now. My name is Ben, and I am one of your hosts. We also have with us Moradin and Cody, and I'm going to pass it over to Cody now to give us a nice synopsis of the chapter. Hello, my name is Cody. So for our synopsis tonight, we are looking at the first prologue that we receive of the Night of the Feast in Kolinar, and we are going from the POV of Zeth Sunson Valano as he embarks on a mission to attempt to assassinate a king. Morden, if you would give us a little bit of this lovely prologue. This is Morden, and here we go. Zeth Sunson Valano, truthless of Shinovar, wore white on the day he was to kill a king. The white clothing was a Prashendi tradition, foreign to him. But he did as his masters required, and did not ask for an explanation. Zeph did not sway to the drums, drink the sapphire wine, or stand to dance. He sat on a bench at the back, a still servant in white robes. Few at the treaty signing celebration noticed him. He was just a servant, and Shin were easy to ignore. Most out here in the East thought Zeph's kind were docile and harmless. They were generally right. But what was he to do? He was truthless. He did as his masters demanded. Today, that included wearing white. Loose white trousers tied at the waist with a rope, and over them a filmy shirt with long sleeves open at the front. White clothing for a killer was the tradition among the Parshendi. Although Zeth had not asked, his masters had explained why. White to be bold. White to not blend into the night white to give warning. For if you were going to assassinate a man, he was entitled to see you coming. That was a great little bit of the chapter there. Thank you for reading that in, Warden. It's a masterwork of an introduction to a magic system for sure and setting your expectations for what you can expect. Yeah, this is Morden, and let's be honest, it's a great way to just kind of set a mood, set the expectation for the chapter, and then show us just what this whole magic system is all about. I couldn't agree with you guys more. This just shows how much better Brandon Sanderson got at his introductions and at, like, you know, giving you that little crumb of investiture to tie you through the world building aspect of the book you know he does a great job in his other books like mistborn is a lot of fun you get the description where he kind of tells you about it stormlight archive he shows us exactly how cool the just the is. incredible amount of foreshadowing that's in here that you know your first time through you have no idea but every time we get a new book and you get another angle of this night just and it just reveals so much more and it's just ridiculous how much he packs into this first prologue without us having any idea you know by the third paragraph there's talk of music and little do we know the importance of music for example just to the world of roshar oh yeah not to mention stormlight everywhere as lighting but it's also something that 
at this point to the wrong hands is very, very dangerous. Yeah. Seth is the first person they've seen in, what is it, 4,000 years? About 2,000 to 2,500, depending on when we officially get the recreants settled. Because other than that, we've only had skybreakers running around and they don't like to show what they can do. No, if uh, you see what a skybreaker can do, you're dead. (laughs) Exactly. As we see as well, Zeth is another one of those archetypes that Brandon likes to do where he shows us the exception to the race of people that they're supposed to be part of. Yeah, that's very interesting. I like that you brought that up. Seth is from a culture that we get a little hint that, you know, he's not the norm here. The way he talks about, you know, his place in the world as he's kind of the lowest of the low. He's truthless. He's very unstable. And he comes from a culture that's primarily pacifistic. They're very pacifist. They are an agrarian culture, especially. We get hints much later on of how weird it is compared to the rest of the world, where they've got strawberry wine, regular horses, grass that doesn't fall down at a storm. Yeah, it's one of those early hints to the fact that humans are not from Roshar, right? But we're getting a little off topic, so... Exactly. (laughs) um, Let's get back towards Zeth. I was really impressed with his, you know, problem-solving abilities here. Not only does he go through a full platoon of honor guard for the king, he realizes as he's, you know, fighting him and goes to run away to try and chase down the robed figure that he's not following and he has that snap realization of, wait, where would the safest place for the king be? Exactly. Not in his robes and crown, but in shard plate. I love how Brandon just loves to not just give you powers, but take the time to really think through and be very creative in how you would use a power. And seemingly useless powers, how can you manage to make those work? And even, you know, seemingly powerful powers, how can you manipulate those to be abstractly used and make them more than what they are on surface level? Oh yeah, like reverse lashing, for instance, that Zeth slash Kaladin later on uses to bring arrows towards him and then have them impact the object that he's holding rather than himself. I also really enjoyed that Brandon gave us a look at the same form of surge binding that we're going to see Kaladin later learning how to use from not knowing how to use it at all. You know, he gave us like the full explanation of the magic system, and then we get to watch somebody else you know, learn it from the ground up. You can tell he may not have wanted to kill, but he was trained in the ability to do so. Yes. Those poor guards had no chance. (laughs) Yeah, very, very lethal. One of my favorite lines from the prologue, other than what we read, is when he sucks in the light and someone asks him, what is he? And he responds with, I am sorry. And that was when he burst into light and began his terrible streak through the castle. So yes, not only does Seth have a shard blade, but he has no ordinary shard blade. He has one of the honor blades of the Ten Heralds of Honor. Jezrian. Yep, the blade of Jezrian, Herald of Kings. Who we see in this prologue as a drunk looking for himself. Yeah, I love when he encounters... Jezrean, I got it pulled up here. A man with a long gray and black beard slumped in a doorway, smiling foolishly. Though whether from wine or a weak mind, Zeth could not tell. Have you seen me? The man said with slurred speech. 
He laughed and then began to speak in gibberish, reaching for a wineskin. So it was the drink after all. Seth brushed by by continuing past a line of statues depicting the ten heralds of the ancient Voran theology. And so, yeah, here he is. Jezreen is slumped against his own statue and I think recognizes potentially his own blade here. Could he feel the signature of his blade? Yeah, I would agree with you. He could probably feel that, Cody. Yeah, he could feel the signature of his blade upon him and it's maybe giving him a little bit of lucidity here and you know have you seen me he's like oh have you brought me back my blade have you seen who i am do you know and i feel at the same time he was terrified of the probability of regaining that blade too yeah he doesn't seem to be doing too well as we find out most of the heralds are not doing well anymore thousands and thousands of years uh, will affect a mortal mind yeah you have three thousand four thousand years of like torture off and on and then after that you have to deal with being a cognitive shadow who mentality is somewhat shaped by how others see you yeah that's in the same scene, as Zeth continues down the hallway, we see the evidence of Salash's presence here this night as her statue is missing because she broke it. Yep, and that's what Shalash has been doing for the last 4,000 years, just finding statues of herself and smashing them to little bits. She spent some time with the Shin, but which was fine with her when they hated her, but when they started worshipping her, that's what drove her mad. When do we get that information? That was during her conversation with Navani during Rhythm of War. I need to reread that. Do we want to move forward to the next topic about how Zeth got here? I would say that's an interesting timeline, to say the least. Before any of this, he was a farmer who carried water and did other tasks for his father, Netero's son Villano, at the sheep farm. He lived near the coast, so he probably uh, had many weekends at the beach. <laughs> and I think most interestingly, his family was given the honor blades. Still don't know when. It's very interesting to think what could cause the stone shamanate to decide that these people should train on the honor blades and what that even means to the culture. So one of the things we will hopefully learn here in book five is yeah, how exactly did they come in possession of the honor blades? And we know they had some interaction with the Herald, so were they given, like, instructions to guard them by the Heralds, to keep them safe, like, what was set up here, but it does seem that, yeah, it's like there's, they've had a designated, like, set of people that have been prepared to use them since receiving them. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of like a, a sacred role. Mm -hmm. We get all this perspective throughout the story, eventually we get these POVs of Zeth in the interludes of this book. He winds up in Kolinar somehow, but he first started out being given his oath stone and traded to Vistim, who we meet later on as Risen Bapsk. Yeah, we don't know between Vistim and the two years, so he gets banished at the age of 27. So at this point, when we're reading this prologue, he's 29. So he's had two years of being passed around from person to person before he is purchased by Lys, uh, the assassin that's in the employ of Yasna, and is there to do some work for her and meet up with her while these events are all going on. But she, two weeks prior to the feast, sells him to a slave market in the town of Kolinar, which is where Zeth gets picked up by the Parshindi. Basically, at that point, Clade is the name of the Parshindi who picked him up. And that was just on a whim from the listener ruling council to see, oh, hey, you actually can 
buy and sell people. Which Clade says that a voice speaking to the rhythms tells him to specifically choose Zeth when he purchases him. Uh, you got more than what you kind of realized there. You just bought a assassin. You should put that to work. I think this is a good spot to transition to, you know, talking about Seth's faith, his honor, how he sticks so strongly to his code of ethics. So now that we're on to the religion and honor for Zeth, I'm looking forward to finding out more about what actual stone shamanism is all about. Yeah, I've been fascinated by that since this prologue. I was like, what is stone shamanism? That sounds incredible. It just, it has all these like really interesting implications for how Shin society is going to be way different. Like they don't buy stone unless it's been soul cast. Basically, they don't buy any metals that haven't been soul cast. I'm very curious as to what they actually build their buildings out of as well, since the current prejudice, I guess, is the best word to describe it, is that they live in mud huts. I mean, I imagine they have timber, so there's probably lots of wood as a core element of their architecture. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we know that they believe that your theory is the only place that they can step foot on stone, and that feels like it's due to the fact that it was created, I guess, by the spren for all nations to kind of gather. It is a spren. Exactly. <laughs> I was trying to say it in the context of their belief there. Here's my prediction. Stone shamanism is some kind of rolling of stone dice or like tossing of <laughs> like a bunch of little chips of shale and you got to read the results out of what comes out of it to know the future. So what you're saying is they're just playing D&D with people's lives? Yeah. But obviously at some point or another they do have Part of the religion that is based around the heralds, seeing as Shalash left because they started worshipping her. Yep, and they have their own names for the heralds. We figure that out eventually in the future POVs we're going to get from Seth. Another part of Shen culture that kind of plays in here with their the honor and faith and, and what, the implication for... Zeth being the outcast is that like the society is based on uh, being a producer like those those with the highest honor and position are those who produce so, like farmers are the top of the social order because they produce food that helps everyone and they provide to everyone and so like the the more your job does to like add to the world and benefit society the better so like soldiers and things that take away particularly life are at the bottom so as being sent out with a shard blade forced to be obedient and you know eventually becoming the assassin he is he is seth has become like yeah the epitome of that where he he is taking away lots of life and adding nothing to society seth's had it hard i feel bad for that guy <laughs> kind of Manic depressive to me, just has these huge self-loathing things about himself, but just carries on. Just like anybody who sees him. Honestly, I think most people see him as just this monster, and that includes himself. Yep, and he's got big-time PTSD, you know? He's got blood on his hands, and he feels like he can't get it off. I'm curious, do you guys have any other portions that you want to read? Any other highlights that stick out to you? I do want to go back and talk a little bit more with his fight with the king and we see yeah the various forms of investiture he's able to use here which manifests in the form of the surges 
as bestowed upon him by this honor blade he has. And the rarity of what he's doing here, you know, I love it, points out he starts attacking these guards and he's sticking them to the ceiling and doing stuff. And they're just kind of confused. Like they're trying to like kind of stop him, but they're not really doing anything. They're just kind of being like, oh, there's just some ruffian doing weird crap here. And then the moment he summons his shard blade, then they're like, oh, it's an assassin. Crap. Uh, raise the alarm. This is bad. We need to stop this guy. Let everyone know. Like his just response. It's like, <laughs> like shard blades, everyone recognized. They all knew what that meant. My magical powers, no one's seen for thousands of years. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And he definitely thinks of his powers as the far more deadly thing. I mean... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's not wrong, right? <laughs> oh, no, he's not. Because, I mean, yes, Seth is good with a blade, but we don't know how good he is as a just a true blade wielder at this point. You know, he's obviously decent, but he comes against Gavilar, who's one of the best duelists in the world at this point, and... It's really his ability to be mobile with his powers that gives him any chance against Gavilar. Oh yeah, he gets broken several times from strikes from Gavilar punching him or... Or kicking him with a shard boot, you know, and just totally showing him how to use a shard blade for sure. Gavilar's definitely trying to take him to school. It's just with his incredible prowess with the surges that he is able to survive. Do y'all want to talk about the different forms of surge binding that he does? Because we get the, the full bore of what Windrunners can do here. So let's see here. We get gravitation and we get adhesion. So gravitation is obviously is the one where he sends people to stick to the ceiling because he's not just directly sticking them. He touches them and they quote unquote float up as gravity gets swept on its head. I don't think you have as much adhesion here as we could, although you have him sticking people's weapons together as he's fighting them. He seals a couple doors. Yeah. One guy he sent to hang out on the ceiling and then held his spear up for him to fall back down on when the light gave out. Yeah, that's a few guys I think just fall to injure themselves. He sent a few flying towards walls. Doesn't he stick a few of them together? Yeah. At the very least, I know he cut out a section of wall and then lashed it multiple, multiple times to send it flying at them as soon as they started coming into that room. Yep. That's so brutal. It was totally brutal. And I think that was kind of a cool... I didn't even realize this was a foreshadowing thing until later, but he ends up killing Gavilar by lashing the balcony out from under him. Yep. He didn't stab him, didn't kill him with the shard blade. He used his surge binding and his wits to best him. The Windrunner powers are broken into kind of three. You have your lashing, reverse lashing, and binding, which... Our lashing would be the the surge of gravitation, and then binding would be the surge of adhesion there, and then kind of the two of them together form the reverse lashing. And another part of this whole night that when it comes to the surge binding here that makes it all possible, as he points out, is their sheer arrogance. Well, and also from his point of view, like heresy, to have stormlight everywhere being used as common illumination if they didn't have sphere lamps in every corridor, you know, in copious amounts, he would not have had the stormlight to do everything he does here and win this fight. It's only because they are putting all the magic power around them that he needs. Yep, they just put it out on a nice platter for him. Something I find rather interesting with him as well is the fact that it seems no matter any time we see him fighting, he's always got some weapon that drains his stormlight far quicker than it should. 
Yeah, Zeth is going to be someone to really watch out for. If he stops using Nightblood or he starts using his own Shardblade and isn't being drained so fast, I mean, he gets a lot done with just a little bit of Stormlight comparatively. I mean, like, he has to use a ton of it, but it's not as efficient. Exactly. We learned that the Honor Blade drains faster uh, later on. Some other things that we have this going on this night that involved in this that don't directly tie to Zeth and his POV, but will be very important as we go into the book is some of the other surrounding political implications of the night. So Dalinar's out, and because he's unconscious on the floor and does not participate in this fight against Seth and protect his brother, and his brother dies, this leads a lot to his guilt and character development, and since him on his path, we see um, it's Sadius's guards this night that set this fighting. They're the ones on guard duty outside the king's chamber. It was Sadius himself who was imitating Gavilar to try and lead Seth away. Mm-hmm. And this leads to the falling out between Dalinar and Thaddeus, which is a big impetus for many of the events then in uh, the rest of the book here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right, and I like how you talk about how this sets Dalinar in his path, because at this point we learn that he has not yet gone to see cultivation, right? Correct. He has not yet gone. It's only after Gavilar's death that he decides to, well, see the Night Watcher anyway and see what she can do. Yeah, because he stops by the Night Watcher on the way to the Shattered Plains when they establish the War of Vengeance. He he takes a detour on the way there, and that it's at that point. So he is still very much in his trauma from Breathless. Yeah. The city built into a crack in the stone. Well, I think we have gotten pretty off topic again. The thing is that Zeth is a catalyst for so much in this series. Yeah, it's why he's the world's most wanted man after this night is because, yes, he kills from his perspective to a degree. It's like he goes and kills a king, but he kills in some ways like the most important king. He doesn't realize how much his actions are kind of being manipulated by so many other parties. And there's so many political implications to what one man does here. You know, as Hoyd would put it, someone has come alongside the boulder and nudged it. And much farther down the path, there are things that you did not anticipate with your little nudge of the moment. That's good. Yeah. And that's what makes this prologue so important that we're, we've been given it four times and we're going to get it a fifth time. And, There's just so much to talk about here because this one action by Zeth sets off so many things. Uh, There's just so much going on at this feast. He doesn't see Yasna in the hallway because she's, you know, having one of her first encounters with Shadesmar and her powers. Elhokar's getting talked to by the heralds. Yep, we've got Navani who discovered some of what Gavilar was up to and due to his treatment of her, basically she wished death on him. And death came in white. Yep, and she prayed for it, too. She burnt Glyphward. Like, I mean, you know, we don't have any proof that their religion has any necessary effect, but that could be something we find out later on. There's so much set up for the last book of this front five. I'm just excited to see where everything goes, especially from the prologues. Do you want to read a section for us? There is a bit at the very end of the prologue that I liked because it kind of sums up the series, especially for people who are just starting out and trying to figure out what the heck is going on. You must take this. They must not get it. You seem dazed. Tell. Tell my brother. He must find the most important words a man can say. Gavilar fell still. Zeth hesitated, then knelt down and took the sphere. It was odd. 
unlike any he'd seen before. Though it was completely dark, it seemed to glow somehow, with a light that was black. Parshendi? Gavilar had said. That makes no sense. Nothing makes sense anymore, Zeth whispered, tucking the strange sphere away. It's all unraveling. I am sorry, King of the Alethi. I doubt that you care. Not anymore, at least. He stood up. At least, you won't have to watch the world ending with the rest of us. Beside the king's body, his shard blade materialized from mist. Clattered to the stones now that its master was dead. It was worth a fortune. Kingdoms had fallen as men vied to possess a single shard blade. Shouts of alarm came from inside the palace. Zeth needed to go, but... Tell my brother. To Zeth's people, a dying request was sacred. He took the king's hand, dipping it in the man's own blood, then used it to scrawl on the wood. Brother, you must find the most important words a man can say. With that, Zeth escaped into the night. He left the king's shard blade. He had no use for it. The blade Zeth already carried was curse enough. Such good foreshadowing, and as we're four books through the series at this point, this chapter has stayed so true to exactly what that last little paragraph you read was. Nothing made sense to us at this point, right? Exactly. Brandon's just kind of telling us, it's going to. Don't worry. Keep reading. As he said when he started writing this, you have to trust me to be able to enjoy this book, basically. Things will be answered. Things will make sense eventually. And we're reminded here that, you know, even though he's been branded truthless, he still does not completely believe in himself. He still thinks he's right, that the world is going to come to an end soon. There's just nothing he can do about it from his perspective at this point. It's the first kind of clue we have that this book series is kind of, you know, about the end of the world for Roshar, the desolations. All right. How do you guys feel? You think we got chapter covered pretty well? That and then some, I think. I feel like it's the end of the world and no one's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Ben, you want to read us out? It's been a lot of fun talking to you, Moradin, and you, Cody. It's been really great. This has been the episode about Seth's POV prologue. And I want to thank you for joining us today. As always, journey before destination. And we hope you'll return to Roshar with us again next time. Bye.